0: Good morning, everyone. So, it's Friday morning, yes, we'll have a story today. I love, love, love. So, this morning, <laughs> I was telling uh, jean philippe and Sabrina, I love it. So, uh, when we read the book with Maria, we always have Audible that reads for us, with us. <laughs> so, it really helps us to be focused when we read it. But last night, we didn't have Maria. But this week, I have Melanie Miller as my Audible. <laughs> <laughs> out loud. I really love it. So I had uh, a preview from this morning, (laughs) last night. I really love it. So yes, we are uh, almost at the end of the book. So we will uh, finish it next week. So today we will cover uh, the essence of the human being with this story. So I will let you start with the story.
1: Okay. Okay, um, I just was checking my microphone. Good morning, everybody. So yeah, we have quite a long story for you this morning. But I think that you will really appreciate it. So um, it is a story that uh, Stephen Covey, he tells at the end of the book, and he says, he feels that it contains the essence of the book. Some years ago, our family took a sabbatical leave from the university where I taught so that I could write. We lived for a full year in Lei on the north shore of Oahu, Hawaii. Shortly after getting settled, we developed a living and working routine, which was not only very productive, but extremely pleasant. After an early morning run on the beach, we would send two of our children barefoot and in shorts to school. I went to an isolated building next to the cane fields where I had an office to do my writing. It was very quiet, very beautiful, very serene. No phone, no meetings, no pressing engagements. My office was on the outside of a college and one day as I was wandering between stacks of books in the back of the college library, I came across a book that drew my interest. As I opened it, my eyes fell upon a single paragraph that powerfully influenced the rest of my life. I read the paragraph over and over again. It basically contained the simple idea that there is a gap or a space between stimulus and response, and that the key to both our growth and happiness is how we use that space. I can hardly describe the effect that idea had on my mind. Though I had been nurtured in the philosophy of self-determinism, the way the idea was phrased, a gap between stimulus and response hit me with fresh, almost unbelievable force. It was almost like knowing it for the first time, like an inward revolution, an idea whose time had come. I reflected on it again and again, and it began to have a powerful effect on my paradigm of life. It was as if I had become an observer of my own participation. I began to stand in that gap and to look outside to the stimuli. I reveled in the inward sense of freedom to choose my response, even to reverse it. Shortly thereafter, and partly as a result of this revolutionary idea, Sandra and I began a practice of deep communication. I would pick her up a little before noon on an old red Honda 90 trail cycle and we would take our two preschool children with us, one between us and the other on my left knee, as we rode out to the cane fields by my office. We rode slowly along for about an hour just talking. At the very first of the year, we talked about all kinds of interesting topics. People, ideas, events, the children, my writing, our family at home, future plans and so forth. But little by little, our communication developed, our communication deepened and we began to talk more and more about our internal worlds, about our upbringing, our scripting, our feelings and self-doubts. As we were deeply immersed in those communications, we also observed them and observed ourselves in them. We began to use that space between stimulus and response in some new and interesting ways, which caused us to think about how we were programmed and how those programs shaped how we saw the world. We began an exciting adventure into our interior worlds and found it to be more exciting, more fascinating, more absorbing, more compelling, more filled with discovery and insight than anything we'd ever known in the outside world. It wasn't all sweetness and light. We occasionally hit some raw nerves and had some painful experiences, embarrassing experiences, self-revealing experiences, Experiences that made us extremely open and vulnerable to each other. And yet we found we had been wanting to go into those for years. When we did go into the deeper, more tender issues and then came out of them, we felt in some way healed. We were so initially supportive and helpful, so encouraging and empathic to each other that we nurtured and facilitated these internal discoveries in each other. We gradually evolved two unspoken ground rules. The first was no probing. As soon as we unfolded the inner layers of vulnerability, we were not to question each other, only to empathize. Probing was simply too invasive. It was also too controlling and too logical. We were covering new, difficult terrain that was scary and uncertain and it stirred up fears and doubt. Each other open up in our own time. The second grand rule was that when it hurt too much, when it was painful, we would simply quit for the day. Then we would either begin the next day where we left off or wait until the person who was sharing felt ready to continue. We carried around the loose ends, knowing that we wanted to deal with them. But because we had the time and the environment conducive to it, and because we were so excited to observe our own involvement and to grow within our marriage, we simply knew that sooner or later we would deal with those loose ends and bring them some kind of closure. The most difficult and eventually the most fruitful part of this kind of communication came when my vulnerability and Sanders' vulnerability touched. Then, because of our subjective involvement, we found that the space between stimulus and response was no longer there. A few bad feelings surfaced. But our deep desire and our implicit agreement was to prepare ourselves to start where we left off and deal with those feelings until we resolved them. One of those difficult times had to do with the basic tendency in my personality. My father was a very private individual, very controlled and very careful. My mother was and is very public, very open, very spontaneous. I find both sets of tendencies in me, and when I feel insecure, I tend to become private, like my father. I live inside myself and safely observe. Another of those difficult times had to do with what I perceived to be a hang-up Sandra had, which bothered me for years. She seemed to have an obsession about Frigidaire appliances which I was at an absolute loss to understand. Even when we were just starting out and on a very tight budget, she insisted that we drive 50 miles to the big city where Frigidaire appliances were sold, simply because no dealer in our small university town carried them at the time. This was a matter of considerable agitation to me. Fortunately, the situation came up only when we purchased an appliance, but when it did come up, it was like a stimulus that triggered off a button response. This single issue seemed to be symbolic of all irrational thinking and it generated a whole range of negative feelings within me. I usually resorted to my dysfunctional private behaviour I I felt I would lose control and say things I shouldn't say. There were times when I did slip up and say something negative and I had to go back and apologise. What bothered me the most was not that she liked Frigidaire but that she persisted in making what I considered utterly illogical and indefensible statements to defend Frigidaire which had no basis in fact whatsoever. If she had only agreed that her response was irrational and purely emotional, I think I could have handled it. But her justification was upsetting. It was sometime in early spring when Frigidaire issue came up again. All our prior communication had prepared us. The ground rules had been deeply established not to probe and to leave it alone if it got too painful for either or both. I will never forget the day we talked it it through. We didn't end up on the beach that day, we just continued to ride through the cane fields, perhaps because we didn't want to look each other in the eye. There had been so much psychic history and so many bad feelings associated with the issue And it had been submerged for so long, it had never been so critical as to rupture the relationship. But when you're trying to cultivate a beautiful unified relationship, any divisive issue is important. Sandra and I were amazed at what we learned through the interaction. It was truly synergistic. It was as if Sandra were learning almost for the first time herself the reason for her so-called hang-up. She started to talk about her father, about how he had worked as a high school history teacher and coach for years, and how he had tried to make ends meet. He had gone into the appliance business to help. During an economic downturn, he had experienced serious financial difficulties, and the only thing that enabled him to stay in business during that time was the fact that Frigidaire would finance his inventory. Sandra had an unusually deep and sweet relationship with her father. When he returned home at the end of a very tiring day, he would lie on the couch and Sandra would rub his feet and sing to him. It was a beautiful time they enjoyed together almost daily for years. He would also open up and talk through his worries and concerns about the business and he shared with Sandra his deep appreciation for Frigidaire financing his inventory so that he could make it through the difficult times. This communication between father and daughter all kind kinds of scripting takes place. During those relaxed times, guards are down and all kinds of images and thoughts are planted deep in the subconscious mind. Perhaps Sandra had forgotten about all of this until the safety of that year of communication when it could come out also in very natural and spontaneous ways. Sandra gained tremendous insight into herself and into the emotional root of her feelings about Frigidaire. I also gained insight and a whole new level of respect. I came to realise that Sandra wasn't talking about appliances. She was talking about her father and about loyalty, about loyalty to his needs. I remember both of us becoming tearful on that day, not so much because of the insights, but because of the increased sense of reverence that we had for each other. We discovered that even seeming trivial things often have roots in deep emotional experiences. To deal with only the superficial trivia without seeing the deeper, more tender issues is to trample on the sacred ground of another's heart. So um, Marie-Pierre and I decided this week, that today, that we would, uh, I would read the story and she is going to give you a little bit of insight and then Marie-Pierre, you can hand back to me at the end um, for the, uh, for the, power, the podcast uh, handover.
0: Yes, <laughs> thank you Marie. So I have a question for everyone, so go in the comments and I want you to write, what do you understand from the story? And how do you see that the seven habits of highly effective people is the essence of this story? So what part of this story really hit home and you understand one of the habits and which one? So I'm curious to know uh, if you um, really find that one maybe habit in the uh, story with the seven habits of highly effective people. So go and write it in the comment. And I will tell you what we understand from the story. And of course it's our interpretation. (laughs) So (laughs) yesterday when we were preparing the podcast, uh, it's really what we understand and how we understand it, because maybe you read it and you will understand it another way, but that's how we interpret the the story. So why it's bring together the seven habits. Uh, First, uh, habit number one was to be proactive. So they, decide to talk every day for two hours a day so they decide to be proactive and decide to talk to each other heart to heart two hours a day habit number two that is start with the end in mind so what was their goal there's only one goal was to improve their relationship by doing that every day habit number three if you remember it's put the first thing first So they talk about important topic because yes, you can be with someone two hours a day and talk about something, (laughs) anything, but they decide to talk about topics that really touch them deeply. Number four, it's think win-win. So we saw in the story when a more difficult moment occurred, they gave themselves time to come back uh, later and to talk about when they uh they had the time and they had the the courage to start again the discussion so they had that third alternative to discuss the topic when they were ready to talk about it number five the habit number five is seek first to understand and then to be understood so i think that's the one that we see the most in that story because there was no probing simply listening without asking questions. So they let the other person really talk and they really listen at the other end. So they make sure to understand the uh, story before talking about it. And of course, number six, (laughs) habit number six, synergy. I think we don't need to (laughs) explain it with all those topics they discuss. uh, Of course, in that one year that they discussed, two hours a day, of course, they created a powerful synergy in the family. So naturally, a synergy has been created between the two of them and they were uh, able to talk about everything after that. And before I go with uh, the uh, habit number seven, I want to go back uh, to the first part of the story when he he read about the gap between the stimulus and the response, because everything starts with that. When you think about it, how we understand is that gap is, it represents all of our our paradigm. So all of the thing that you saw in the past that created paradigm for you, all our belief, all all our, our experiences, so, that gap is represented by that. So, it is the space between the stimulus and the response that will shape our responses. So, developing the first six habits would allow us to explore that gap and reduce, reduce this gap into only one thing living according to the principle. So that's something that we saw in uh, the past podcast uh, about living with principle. So yes, it's really that thing that we want to fill this gap between stimulus and response, not with all those paradigms that we created in the past, uh, but only principle that uh, you want to live by. So rather than responding to a stimulus with a paradigm from our past, we will be able to respond lead to a full knowledge of these principles, you will see that gap and you will understand it. So yes, the first uh, six habits will allow us to develop uh, our faculties to get there. And it's only with the habit seven, so sharpen the saw that we can make sure that we stay in the on the right path. So we continue to renew ourselves uh, daily, absolutely in the four categories. So. And we renew ourselves physically, mentally, spiritually, and social emotional. So we make sure that yes, the space between the stimulus and response will keep it as small as possible, and we keep um, make sure that we are aware of it and how we respond. So we make sure that yes, there's no. Uh, I think it's autodetermination, but it's really something that you you are uh, in. Uh, Um, (laughs) you are responsible for your response. So that's uh, how we see it. So yes, it's really a beautiful story. And next week, we will continue with the the next part of the story because yes, it was just the first part (laughs) of the story to really understand how we can live the seven habits of highly effective people. So if you just started to uh, listen to the podcast and you didn't have the time to uh, join before that, uh, I really, really, um, uh, it's a chance that you have to go back uh, and listen to the past, past podcast to really understand the seven habits of highly effective people. I think it's one of those books that you need to read uh, in your life. So if you have it at home, make sure to read it so that's in my interpretation of the story
1: thank you thank you uh marie pierre and uh you know we when we were reading it yesterday when i read it for the first time i uh, i got quite emotional at the ending when i was you know i can't believe i was getting emotional about frigidaire right but when you realize what the essence of what she was experiencing in her life without really realizing it. And it reminded me of, um, you know, I have similar experience, not anything like the depth that she has, but I have similar experiences with appliances where I will not buy some and I will buy others. And it's nothing to do with whether they're good or not. How you got them? Like, were you know the people that were involved, and sometimes maybe our our responses are irrational, and in understanding what those responses are, understanding the gap. And how we respond when certain things are mentioned is uh, is something really, really important in our lives. And, you know, what Covey and his wife did was they continued the practice. They continued the practice once they'd returned from Hawaii so that over the years they were able to every so often, they, I mean, they weren't able to do it two hours every day because, you know, life is busy, but they were able to go back and to find that deep communication to be able to uh, always have a gap between the stimulus and the response and for me that that i think that his illumination of that when he read it really really uh, spoke to me as well so so i hope that you enjoyed the story this morning and uh, that now every time you come across a frigidaire appliance <laughs> you're going to say oh i remember there was a story about that so uh, thank you so much everybody for uh, listening to us this morning And we will be back next week with more of the story.